Hello and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I'm your host, Sean Needham, and I am super excited to have Dr. Amy Beard back on our podcast. She can speak on a multitude of topics, and we picked this one today um, about the harms of breast implants. And some people might not realize it because in America, we get sold on breast augmentation quite often, breast enlargement, breast reduction, what, what have you. We're going to be talking about mostly the implants, um, but there are some harms there. And not always do we have what Dr. Beard will talk about, informed consent about what some of the harms are um, when it comes to breast implants. So um, without further ado, Dr. Beard, welcome to our show. Thanks for having me back, Sean. Yeah, I am super excited to have you on. So tell us a little bit of history. There must be. So first of all, I love having you on our podcast and you kind of stood in. I had a last minute cancellation and last week. And so you kind of stood in last minute. And I was just thinking of some topics that you've listed that you can speak on. And, you know, you're such a well-rounded, well-educated, wise individual and can speak on so many different topics. And I saw this one, and I know you're a functional medicine doctor, and that's what we've had you on before. So I'm sure that's kind of one of the reasons that you've, you know, you went down the road of looking into the harms of breast implants. But tell us a bit of history about how you got into and understood the harms of breast implants. Yeah. So it really started with a when a, a patient I had several years ago who um, just started having a lot of strange symptoms start occurring um, in her 30s, I believe. And no one could ever explain what was going on. Uh, just a lot of chronic fatigue, trouble sleeping, some positive autoimmune markers, food sensitivities. And um, she could just, she, she couldn't figure out what was going on. The doctors couldn't figure out what was going on. And she began doing her own research. And she also, you know, enlisted me to help her. And I was very new um, in the functional medicine journey at that time, but um, I knew that something was going, something was causing this, and we just had to figure out what it was. And so we started going down the breast implant um, route and found a wonderful um, resource online called breastimplantillness.com, along with a lot of other um, papers and things on breast implants. And we thought, wow, I think we have found the smoking gun. And she was pretty much convinced that that was it and was willing to take the risk of having her breast implants explanted. And when she did, um, she showed me, she, I got a text from her one day with these pictures. Uh, I wish she would have gave me a heads up first, but she took, she had the surgeon take pictures of her breast implants after he had removed them and they were covered with black fungus or black mold, not only on the uh, outside of the capsule, but uh, but also there was some inside of it as well. So that was a big eye opener for me. And from that day on, I started asking all of my patients if they had breast implants. Wow. So mold, basically mold fungus was growing on these. Were they saline? Were they silicone? Is there a difference? Yes. Well, um, these were, these were saline and there, you know, you have your textured implants, your saline, and then your silicone, um, implants, and they all have their, uh, different risks 
that are involved with them and how you have to treat them. I believe hers were sailing at the time. Um, and she had, uh, of course, um, she also said that she was contacted by the breast implant manufacturer very quickly. And women have to be careful about that because they want you to send the implants back for like a warranty. They'll give you, you know, reimburse you, what have you. But then that could also waive all of your legal rights um, if you want to pursue a lawsuit against the harms that were inflicted upon you by their breast implants, which have a shelf life of 10 years from the time they're made, not from the time they're placed. And very few surgeons ever tell that to their patients. Not, and they hardly ever mention the fact that they can cause a lot of harms. Um, it's just, you know, they're safe and effective, right? They, they were cleared by the FDA. So, uh, you don't have to worry about anything, which we know is a bunch of BS. Right. Right. Well, here, here on our, on our podcast, as we've done for many years and, and in our pharmacy also for over 23 years is our goal is to educate and empower individuals to take charge of their own health. So I'm not making a decision either way for, for a patient when it comes to breast implants. Um, it's important to have what you call informed consent, something that we forgot about a lot in medicine, especially over the last couple of years. And that's why we're having this podcast to make sure that people are educated about some of the risk of breast implants. Now, one thing about the history of breast implants, um, and I've got you on the show because you're an expert on this subject and I'm not. So I'm going to ask you some, some questions. And what I find interesting is that, um, I think originally breast implants started out being silicone and they were, then there were some problems with that. So they went to saline and there were some problems with those cause they would rupture and what have you. And now we're going back to silicone. So that in a way to me, I mean, I know we're always trying to progress in medicine and I totally understand that, but that in a way to me is a little bit silicone, saline, silicone. Can you comment on matter. that? It doesn't. Well, exactly. they're, both, they're both foreign. <laughs> the, the body treats them as as the same, they're foreign bodies. You know, with the silicone, you have the problem of gel bleed, which this gel can slowly leak out over time as the as the outer covering starts to decay, which it does, and you have what they call gel bleed. And the silicone likes to go into the lymphatic system, which then can be distributed throughout the body. Mm-hmm. And they have even found silicone remnants in the sinus cavities of patients from these silicone implants. Um, I have had patients where they have ruptured and um, they, they said they noticed a sharp decline in their health from that moment on. Like the, it, the, the, the rupture was that severe um, at that time. It was way back then, like several decades ago, and the surgeons didn't really think there was much to do about it. You just dealt with it. Uh, which we know now that is not what you do. You get right. you get rid of that stuff as right. best you can. And silicone is its own animal. It's very difficult for the body to um, get rid of it. Whereas saline, you know, it, it is saline, but it's still it's a foreign object. the The breast implants themselves are made up of a lot of um, lots of different chemicals, heavy metals. So that's not good either. And, um, and and they also have something called a biofilm that forms around them, uh, made up of all kinds of different type of bacteria, fungi, viruses. And um, it's, it's, um, it's basically trying to protect 
your body. That's why this biofilm forms is trying to protect your body from this foreign substance, um, along with scar tissue that develops around the uh, implant as well. That's another protective layer. And that biofilm and all those organisms can start um, impacting the immune system, along with all the chemicals and the heavy metals, too, that these implants are made of. Yeah. And now, thank you for that. That was very, very helpful. And you're right. I, I think the, I think anybody can really understand that, you know, having a foreign body implanted into our bodies is not necessarily a good thing. I mean, sometimes it can be life-saving, but, 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 but not always a good thing, especially if it's for cosmetic reasons or vain reasons, correct? Um, and can cause some problems. So, so let's look at the overall health of uh, of an individual and why we would why we really got into breast breast implants and breast um, enlargement is i guess it's a it's a vanity thing can you say that can we say that i i don't know what else it would be right i right? mean bre- breast on a female serve a purpose right it's to feed your young you know, they, they produce breast milk to feed your offspring. Um, but we have, you know, society has, I think, has always been fascinated with the female breast since day one. Right. Um, you know, so it's just not like it's a new phenomenon. If you look back at some of the old paintings and, you know, uh, centuries ago, the female breasts were on display right. to be admired. And so... Um, I, I don't think it's a new thing we're dealing with. I think it's always been around, but I always, and I have a lot of patients who have breast implants and it is, I always ask them and it can, it can be a difficult discussion, but I just want them to know that there are legitimate concerns with having them and they could be contributing to their problems. And is it worth their health? And I always get the response this question is it really the implants or is it something else and i'm like it's hard to say but these are foreign bodies so we know that they are stimulating your immune system in not so great ways and that's why you have a lot of mystery illnesses in in these women who have breast implants and they often don't start you know uh, some can start even like a few months after they have them placed, but yet sometimes it can take years before these these vague symptoms start to come around. Right. Well, maybe we need to rethink as a society what we what we think of as healthy. And and you're right. It, this is nothing new. I mean, you can read in the Bible. It talks about in Song of Solomon's. You know, it talks yeah. about women's breasts all the time. Right. <laughs> so so this is nothing new for sure. And I think you know. Um, you know, I mean, we're meant to, our bodies are meant to be admired and taken care of yeah. and look nice, but maybe we right. need to, you know, I mean, our bodies are temple, right? So we should take care of them. Right. Absolutely. But, um, also we need to maybe rethink what, what healthy is and maybe mm-hmm. big breasts are not healthy. I, Jan and I were, uh, mountain biking over the weekend and I was just, you know, observing people as I often do. And, 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 you know, I think being in, being in the medical field and working with people that, um, are sick or are healthy, we just do that quite often. Yeah. And, and I saw a couple and they were about ready to go up the mountain and, um, you know, the, the female, both of them looked very, very fit 
and the female probably had A, maybe B-sized cut breasts. Mm -hmm. And I looked at her and I thought, um, you know, she's fit. She's healthy. So what do you say to a person that says, well, I've got A-cut breasts, so I need to get an implant so I look good? What do you say to people like that? Well, I don't know because I'm one of those people. And it has (laughs) has literally never bothered me because I was always athletic. Right. And um, for me, a bigger chest just got in the way of the things that I wanted to do. You know, I was a runner. I didn't need large breasts for that. That would have, uh, uh, you know, uh, got just gotten in the way for me. It's a personal decision. And I would just ask, you know, I would just tell those, you know, uh, flat chested women out there is that you, you're going to it's not if you're going to have problems, it's when. There's just no way to get around the uh, immune dysregulations that that is going to occur from such large foreign bodies placed into into your chest um, that are covered in toxic chemicals and heavy metals and that have the potential to rupture and form biofilms and, and what have you because th- they're going to. And so well, you really have to consider that. Is it yeah. going to be worth it? Well, and we've had a couple of plastic surgeons on our podcast discussing this subject and, and they were honest and said, um, you know, that the life of a breast implant is 10 years. I think that's what they said. And so, I mean, if you're a young woman in your twenties or thirties and you're thinking about this, do you want to go through that procedure every 10 years? I mean, that's one thing to think about, right? And well, a lot of people are walking around with 20, 30 year old breast implants. Yeah. And so, and then, I mean, and then they'll have them replaced, right? And, or what I, what I really hate to see is the, the woman who had breast cancer and then they have the implants placed and I'm like, wow, you're, because there is a particular type of cancer associated with breast implants, particularly the textured implants. Interesting. Yes, wow. there's a high rate of cancer of a particular um, immune cancer associated with textured breast implants, but it can happen with all of them. Yeah. So we were talking about fitness and healthy, you know, athletic women, and they usually don't have um, bigger breasts. No. So that's partly because breasts are full of fat, right? And estrogen, and estrogen fuels a lot of that uh, growth in the breast tissue. And so thin women and, and those who, who are exercising a lot and are very active tend to be less estrogen dominant, less body fat. So they're going right. to be, you know, have less breast tissue generally. Now there are some women who I know who are naturally, who are fit and thin yet large chested. Um, but that is the, those are tend, tend to be the exception. And that's why you have a lot of these female bodybuilders. And, and this is a really good sto- uh, story. Um, she was 20, 25, beautiful. She was getting into these competitions, felt like she needed to have bigger breasts, right? She had them play six months later. She started having a lot of weird problems. It started out with abdominal issues. She was having a lot of bloating. She started developing sensitivities to all kinds of foods that she had never had before. And it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And that that was one of the first things I asked her when she walked into my office because I could see. Right. right. There's this thin girl, big chested. And I had just saw the, the, the moldy breast implants like the week before. So 
She came in. I said, I think this is what's going on. And by the time she felt uh, found a breast explant surgeon, I believe it was in Georgia somewhere where she found one, she was paralyzed on one side of her body. She could not move one side of her body. Two days after her explant, she regained use of that side of her body because she was texting me, kind of giving me updates. And it took her a, a solid probably year of recovery because once you remove the, the implants, then you have to, you've gotten rid of the foreign toxic substance. So then you often have to detoxify the body from all of those chemicals that have been, uh, that are often being stored in your fat tissues, your nervous system, your brain, a lot of your organs, your lymphatic systems. So you have to help the body get clear all of these things. So it doesn't stop with just explantation, which a lot of people assume that's all they have to do and they're going to feel great. And they're disappointed when they remove them and they're like, I don't feel any better. And I'm like, because you haven't, that was the first step, you know? So I try to set expectations right up front, like removing them is just step one. Then you're going to have to work on helping your body detoxify from all these toxic substances. Well, I know Janet discussed with me that she had a woman that she was fitting for prosthesis one time and she had problems. The history was that she had some problems with implants. And um, when she tried to get those implants removed because she was having problems with them, it was hard. She could, the original surgeon wasn't around anymore and nobody wanted to touch him because um, they didn't put them in. So that was one of the difficulties is that, you know, a, a surgeon doesn't like to do surgery on somebody else's surgery. So I don't know what your experience with that is when, a, how a patient finds a surgeon that will do that. Is that, is that pretty common to do now or? Um, I think it's becoming more common. And in fact, there are a couple of female um uh, surgeons in, I think they were in the Denver area at one time who all, all they do now is explantation. Oh, really? They okay. will not place them. And there's another, uh, a couple of surgeons in Georgia that I know of in the Atlanta area, same thing. They will not put breast implants in women anymore. They strictly, they focus fully on explantation and that, and you have to be very selective about your breast explant surgeon. You really need to do your research and, and, see how many surgeries they've done, what types of testing do they do at the time during the surgery? Are they taking swabs, checking for certain pathogens, uh, malignant cells? Are they taking out the capsule? Because that is very important because I, a lot of surgeons will talk their or try to talk their patients out of removing the capsule, which is that scar tissue that develops around the implant. And that has to go too because it can still harbor a lot of pathogens, okay. malignant cells. The scar tissue can continue to grow into places. Uh, I've heard of it growing up people's neck and, uh, wow. and also impacting their heart. It can calcify and it can cause radiographic um uh, misinterpretations because of that. So, and, and a lot of women have had to had a second surgeries for to go back in and remove all of the scar tissue and caps and the capsule. Wow! Because their surgeons didn't do it the first yeah. time. So it sounds like there are options now yes. because it's getting a little bit more common to to take these out. So there are some options. You mentioned some people could probably find. Um, so. You mentioned, you mentioned the detox after you take the foreign body out. 
um, you being a functional medicine doctor, you're excellent at detoxing. So what's the process of that? Yeah, so it it it's different for each person, right? Yeah. Because a lot of people have, um, you know, it's not just their breast implants that were causing this high toxic burden, but this could have been a person who, you know, eats junk food, doesn't yeah. get enough rest, drinks a lot of alcohol. So you have to deal with all of that as well. So basically, you're just trying to restore gut health because that is, you have to do that first. Gut health is everything. So we have to yep. restore gut health. Uh, we have to um, make sure that the liver has all the nutrients it needs to do its job, to detoxify. And sometimes uh, we can test for heavy metal levels like mercury and lead. And we know how to um, use chelating agents to get to draw those out of the tissues and help the body get rid of that. That is a very prolonged process. It doesn't happen overnight. But it's basically trying to get the, the patient to clean up their lifestyle because that goes a long way too. But there's, you know, infrared saunas, hyperbaric mm -hmm. uh, oxygen chambers, sweating. We know that you can get rid of a lot of this stuff just purely in your sweat. So uh, there's a lot of a lot of things involved in detoxification. It's not just drinking celery juice. That's, <laughs> right, right. That's that, I'm not. I'm not going to say don't do that. Okay? Right. It's probably not going to hurt you, but it, it is much more involved than just drinking some celery juice. Well, and I appreciate you going into detail of that because I don't even like using the word detox sometimes because it brings that bad connotation. Because you see all these advertisements for you know a detox supplement or whatever, and it's mm. like. It's like, it's just not that easy. I mean, no. there's a reason you had the toxins in the first place, probably because, you know, your lifestyle leads to that. Yes. So you, you need to change that first right. and then try to eliminate them. Right. Yeah. And then it's also, yeah, going around and trying to find all the other sources of the toxins that could be inhibiting your body's natural abilities to get rid of this stuff because the body has this built in system to get rid of things that are harmful to it. So it needs right. to be operating well to do that. And, and, the, and that comes from a living a good, healthy lifestyle. Right. So, um, Go ahead, and I'm going to ask you a question of our upcoming podcast, but go ahead, and what are the final words you would like women to know about breast implants? Um, they, they have the potential to cause great harm. And again, it's not a matter of if they're going to harm you. It's just when. The extent of that can vary among individuals. I just want you to be informed, and I would refer patients to the website breastimplantillness.com. It is a wonderful resource. There's also a Facebook group, Breast Implant Illness, that has a huge number of followers, and you can um, get a lot of good information and support there as well. Perfect. So speaking of health, speaking of detox, um, the things we need to do to stay healthy, one of them is nature therapy, right? <laughs> That's right. And I am going to get the pleasure, Jen and I are going to get the pleasure to meet you and your husband here in November in a few months. And we're going to do a, a, a podcast live in your studio. And you've got a new studio. Tell us about your studio because that is an awesome view in your studio. I love it. In fact, I had to ask you before the show started, is that a green screen or is that a real view? <laughs> No, this we're actually in Colorado right now. Okay. Um, in the Ridgeway, you're a uh, area with the San Juan Mountains. If it wasn't so sunny behind me, you could see the mountains. 
Um, but the sun is out, so it's kind of hard to see. But um, we, we have a second place that we'd like to come out to during the summertime to get away from the heat and humidity of Arkansas, which is where you're going to be coming. That's to, right. to our place in Arkansas. <laughs> we have this beautiful little farm that we live on. And so that's where we'll, uh, we'll be meeting. And I can't wait to to have, have you and your wife over. It's going to be so much fun because we'll I'm have excited. our bikes. We'll be able to go on a bike ride right. together. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm super excited. We're going to be talking about nature therapy. And, you know, one of the things we talk about on our podcast is some of the things that we need to, you know, the important things we need to do to stay healthy are really three things. And that's exercise, diet, and sleep. And we, we, we hit those over and over and over again. Of course, I still believe sleep is the most important because we'll die without sleep before we'll die without any of those. Absolutely. Um, but one of the other important things, and it is is nature and getting outside. And I think as 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 humans, especially over the last decade, few decades, we just don't do that. We have sedentary jobs. We stay inside, and you know, God created the view that we see in your in your background for a reason. It's not black and white. It's not bland. It's beautiful. It has colors. It has all kinds of diversity for a reason. He yes. did it for us. I mean, seriously. And so we need to enjoy that. And I do believe that doing that does make us healthier. I mean, and you, we could get into the details of, you know, how sunlight stimulates vitamin D and neurotransmitters. And, but there are a lot of things, and you can explain, you can expand on this. Um, when we go outside, we have no idea. We think we're smart people and we know what's going on <laughs> with the body, but we don't. Yeah. I no, mean, no. you know, we have no idea what goes through us to, to, no. to, to how nature therapy helps us. So go ahead and you yeah. expand on that. Yes. Yeah. So, so, so what we know is within this little circle, you know, uh, what we don't know is outside of that. <laughs> right. But I do know that I'm happiest when I'm outside because that's like you said, that's how we evolved. And now we have these artificial lives. We're inside under these blue lights, temperature controlled, everything. It's always at the same temp, refiltered air. That is not how we're supposed to be no. living. You need to be outside. The, the sun, I like to uh, tell our patients about the, the free stuff that can help them, right? And the sun is one of those. You need the sun exposure. And not just that, it's the smells, it's the sights, it's stimulating your brains in ways we don't even understand fully just yet that are very, very beneficial to us. I think we need to stay connected to nature. That's why for me, it's I feel rejuvenated when I'm outside yeah. and I've spent a lot of time outside. I just feel better. I sleep better because I'm exposing my retinas to the sunlight in the morning, the midday and the evening that helps, uh, you know, helps regulate your circadian rhythm. So right. you sleep better. So there's reasons to be outside that can have tremendous impacts on your health. And it's just sad because I ask all my patients this too, how much time are you spending outside every day? And the answer is always, not enough. And one poor lady yesterday said, I probably spend about 20 minutes outside every day. And I thought, how sad is that? And right. that is a big, that's probably a major reason why you feel so bad. It's because well, you're not getting outside. No. And, and that's one of the reasons I want to talk about it because um, you have to be intentional about it. And, you know, we talk about all the time, you know, I think everybody realizes not everybody, but you know, how important movement or exercise is. And we tell them, you know, we tell people, well, get at least 20 to 30 minutes a day of some kind of movement. Um, 
But why don't we add to that? Do it outside. You know, because I will tell you, I, you know, I mean, I ride my bike outside most of the time in the middle of the winter. We don't live in Arkansas. So in the middle of the winter when it's snowy and 25 it's degrees, it's tough, very tough. Um, you know, but, and, and you know, I work out most of the time. It, my gym work is in a home gym. It's not outside. But why, there's a lot of things that we can do outside, even even gym work. Why not bring a kettlebell? I did it outside yesterday. <laughs> I'm sure you did. Yeah, I had my uh, computer with YouTube. Had uh, I we brought and bought some more weights, and so Paul and I were out there looking at the mountain, yeah. doing our upper body yeah. workouts, and it was awesome. Now the trouble was keeping the dogs off of me when I was playing, you know, doing ab work, so the dogs would lick you and stuff. We still haven't figured out how to deal with that, but you know, yeah, take, if you can take it outside, take it outside. Now I understand in the South, people are like, how can you be vitamin D deficient when you live in the South? Let me tell you, when it's 110 outside with humidity, that is just off the charts. Nobody's getting outside. It, it's, right. it's, it's terrible. So, but I still make myself go out there because I think we need to expose ourselves to those temperature extremes, cold yeah. and hot. Yeah. Yeah. It, it does stimulate certain th- uh, your immune system in beneficial ways right. to get really, really hot and to be really, really cold at times. Right. Well, and another thing is about that is like in the middle of summer, we get hotter than Arkansas in the middle of summer. We just, we're just dry in a desert in Washington state. I don't know if you knew that Dr. Beard, yeah. but um, so we can't ride like it was 105 in Moses Lake yesterday. Yeah. We can't ride in the middle of the day. Um, but what you do is you just get up really early and you ride. Exactly. So you do, you know, you do get outside before it just gets too hot and you get, you get all the benefits of being outside. So it's be, priorities. Yeah. You have yeah. to make priorities. Is your health a priority or not? Right. And you seem to be intentional about it. Your story about working out on a YouTube video outside one time, Janet and I were traveling and we were at a, um, kind of a camping spot with multiple campsites and stuff. And we set our computer up. We, we had our whole family out there. So, and actually my brother and his kids and everything. So there were probably a group of 10 of us doing a group <laughs> workout on the grass in a spot with a YouTube video. And we're all doing this. And I mean, people either thought we were crazy or it was like, what are those guys doing? But you know, it's uh, yeah. Don't make excuses and, and, you know, get outside and work out. Um, it would have been easy to, to not um, do it, but that's why we, you know, and if you, if you position yourself to where you have all kinds of plans to where you can get some kind of exercise and don't be too specific about it with like, um, I know, cause the question I get asked all the time is, well, how much weight should I use? And, you know, blah, blah, blah. I don't have the right equipment. all that. It's like, you know what? You, you don't need equipment. Just, 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 you just do it. Body weight alone. Do, do something. Just do something. And you know, if they're doing squats with, with dumbbells or whatever, and you don't have them, just do body weight squats. It's not that big a deal. Don't make excuses. Just do it. Right. Um, yeah. You can so, carry around like some bands and that's all you need. I do that all the time in hotels because they're easy to pack and bands are Absolutely. awesome. I've done workouts in airports and got strange looks because I'm doing a band workout in the airports. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? I have, I have I, I've done the same thing. I've gotten down and like done push-ups because I was just like, <laughs> what else am I going to do? You know? <laughs> right. 
while you're sitting there, you got an hour before the flight leaves. You checked right. in early and you got through TSA, all that. And then it's like, what do I do? Well, might as well exercise. Right. And then you're like, you know, I've got to get on this tube, squishing <laughs> people. So I'm anxious. I need to get rid of some of that anxiety. Right. You, right. Get, you get strange looks, but you'll never see those people again. Right. Well, I love it. And I'm super excited to, to actually meet you in person in, in November and see your farm and go for a bike ride um, and talk about nature therapy. We're going to talk about that on the podcast. So, awesome. um, so, as we wind this podcast up, Dr. Beard, what is your passion? What do you have a passion for? Oh, wow. That for me, I think it's just getting people to see the big picture of how their lifestyle is impacting their health and helping them understand that they don't need to be dependent upon a healthcare system and a pharmaceutical industry to, to maintain their health. Uh, that, that is a, that's nonsense. That's propaganda that's been fed to you for a long time. I'm glad we have certain aspects of our healthcare system, but really it comes down to what you do. And that's going to have the big, that's going to impact your health the most is what you do, not what your doctor does, but what you do. I love it. I love it. Um, you know, the, the more I hear you speak, the more I, the more I like you and I can't wait to meet you. And, you know, that's pretty, you know, I think one thing in our healthcare system, whether it be doctors, whether it be pharmacists, I think sometimes we can get arrogant and we think that people need us. And I love what you just said. You basically, you basically are trying to put yourself out of business being a doctor. You uh, want to, edu- yes. right. And, and that's, that's what we should do. And our goal as always is to educate and empower individuals to take charge of their own health. Yes. As doctors, as pharmacists, we can just help educate them. That's all we can do. It's up to them to make yeah. those choices. Yes, that's how the original physician, that's what their intentions were. But that's been, you know, that's been taken over. But yeah, I, I, like you, my goal is to empower and educate my patient so that they can take charge of their own health and they don't need me anymore. Right, right. I love it. I love it. And that's okay. I'm yeah, like, you know, that's right. There's, trust me, there's plenty of people I can help. So I'm not I'm not going to go out of business anytime soon, that's right. for sure. But if I did, because we empowered so many people, that would make me so happy. Awesome. I love it. Well, thank you. You've definitely helped realize our goal. And uh, thank you for being on our podcast. Can't wait to meet you in a couple months in person. And thank you, listeners and viewers, for tuning in to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Thank you. Thank you.